0: Well, out of all the sermons I've sat through in my life, some tend to stand out more than others. Some sermons just happen to be more memorable than others. And I'm sure if we did a survey around the congregation and asked you, what's, what's one sermon or two sermons that maybe you can remember a little better than other sermons? I've got my list. Shortly after coming to Wilshire, I still remember Jim's sermon on the Thief on the Cross. Any of you remember that sermon? It's what in preaching we call a first-person sermon, where Jim stood up here and he preached the sermon as if he were the thief on the cross. It was a great sermon. And I still remember that sermon. And that's been several years ago. I remember a few years back, I went up to Rochester for a sermon seminar. And I got to hear one of the leading preachers of our time in the academic world named Fred Craddock. And I still remember a sermon he preached from the story of Matthew or the story of Mark in the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. And he told this story about how none of the disciples know what's happening as Jesus goes up the mountain to pray because they've stayed behind and they're asleep. And Mr. Craddock said, but you know, because Mark's taking you with him. And when you come down that mountain, all the disciples are going to want to know what they missed. And his sermon unfolded with this conversation And the last thing Craddock said was, they're going to want to know, will he forgive them? And he already has. And Craddock just left the podium. And I still remember, for five minutes it seemed, nobody said a word. We just sat in stunned awe and reverence. Some sermons just stand out. I remember when I was 12 years old, a bad sermon. Those really tend to stand. It was a gospel meeting. It was a nice man. I could tell you the man's name, but it wouldn't do any good. His Bible class, I was 12, his Bible class was on the proper way of taking communion. And how, even though they're small, they're not shot glasses. You don't tip it up like you're taking a shot of whiskey. His whole sermon was about that. I never wanted to try whiskey, but I certainly never used a shot glass. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And then his morning worship sermon was about how wrong it is for the men leading the prayer to stand up for the bread and say, we continue this prayer. He says, it's two different prayers. You don't continue a prayer. I remember that sermon 23 years later. Some sermons just stand out. And I have a feeling that if you were here in Jeremiah chapter 7 and you heard this sermon, that he preaches, or probably better stated, that he unloads in Jeremiah chapter 7. That sermon would go down as a memorable sermon. Because what Jeremiah does in this text is he fires both barrels, and then he brings in reinforcements. This is a heavy sermon. In, in the literature, maybe even in your, in your Bible, the heading of this text is Jeremiah's Temple Sermon. This is a tough sermon. And I have a feeling if you were there the day he preached this sermon, you would remember it 20, 30, 40 years later. Now, it's memorable for a lot of reasons. It's memorable perhaps mostly because Jeremiah takes direct aim at the establishment and all of the things we consider sacred in Jewish culture. Jeremiah unloads on their practice of offering sacrifices Now that seems kind of counterintuitive because sacrifices as jim mentioned played an important role in our life with god and in israel you read the book of leviticus in the first seven eight chapters are about the sacrificial system in israel how you offer things where you offer them what you offer who you offer them with what they're for and all of these things the sacrificial system is pretty important But in Jeremiah chapter 7, and verse 21, Jeremiah says, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Add to your burnt offerings, to your sacrifices, and eat the flesh. For in the day I brought you from your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to them or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, God says kind of suddenly, You're wasting your time with these things. The nerve of this preacher to show up, And to say there's something wrong with our sacrificial system. Jeremiah, don't you know this is one of the things that makes us a holy people of God? Don't you know that offering these sacrifices are something God called us to do? And you've got a lot of nerve, preacher, to stand here and tell us there's something wrong with us doing what God has always told us to do. Jeremiah wasn't the first guy to do this, actually. Samuel did it to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember after Saul was told go up and kill the Amalekites, kill everything, Samuel shows up. Samuel says, uh, "I hear sheep and cows. Something's not right here." I think at this text in 1 Samuel chapter 15, to obey is better than sacrifice. Micah said the same thing, Micah chapter 6. What shall I come before the Lord with? And he offers these things, burnt offerings and all these things. No, to walk humbly, do justice, love mercy. Isaiah said the same thing. Isaiah in chapter 1 unloads. God says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. I don't want any more of that. Jeremiah does what... Prophets have done and will do after him. He shows up and he says, you guys are wasting your time with your sacrifices here. Why are you bothering with these things? And if that's not bad enough, Jeremiah takes aim at what may be the central tenet in their understanding of what it means to be Jewish. The temple. Jeremiah says early in this sermon, verse 4, don't trust in these deceptive words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah says, I'll tell you something, God will destroy this temple of the Lord. Who does this guy think he is to show up here? The text says, verse 11, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I am watching, says the Lord. Go now to my place that I had in Shiloh, where I made my dwelling first. Doesn't Jeremiah realize that that just 90 years ago, 90 years ago, When the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem, or they were about to surround Jerusalem, and Hezekiah was king, this great big Assyrian army had wiped out all of these other nations and wiped out all these other cities, but he could not wipe out Jerusalem. Doesn't Jeremiah remember history? Even the prophet Isaiah came, and Isaiah said, Hezekiah, don't surrender. Sennacherib will not defeat Jerusalem. Jeremiah, don't you know that if God was going to wipe out Jerusalem, he would have done it back then? He didn't do it. He wiped out the north, but he didn't wipe out Jerusalem. Jeremiah, where do you get off saying God is going to destroy the temple of the Lord? Jeremiah says, You've forgotten your history. You know, God used to live in Shiloh, He used to have a place in Shiloh. Go check it. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The text says they were worthless. That's what Samuel said. And because they abused the house of God, when the Philistines came up against them, they thought all they had to do was go grab their little god in a box, the Ark of the the Covenant. And they thought if they could just slide that thing into battle, then everything would be fine and, and Shiloh would stand and God would win the war for them. And Jeremiah says, go check your history books. They caught the ark, and Shiloh fell. You think God won't do that again? You guys have this false confidence that somehow you are the people of God because God's temple is here? You think that you can do and and live however you want to live out there and then slide into the temple on Saturday, offer your sacrifices, and God didn't notice any of that stuff? You think you can go out and abuse the weak and the widows and the orphans? You think you can commit adultery, fornication, lie, steal, false witness, and then slide into this temple and proclaim yourself as holy? you got another thing coming, buddy. God is watching you. God sees you. This temple will not protect you. You can trust in your lying words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, but I'll tell you, the temple of the Lord will be destroyed just like Shiloh. You tend to remember sermons like that. It's so bad in Jerusalem. Jeremiah gives a description, verse 30. The people of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house that is called by my name, defiling it. And they go on building the high place of Topheth, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. They are burning their children as an offering to a foreign god. Can you understand why Jeremiah is so wound tight in Jeremiah chapter 7? And they're doing this in the temple. It's a memorable sermon because he attacks the establishment and perhaps one of the things that's memorable about it is where he preaches this sermon. You know, in real estate, they say there are three things to good real estate sales. Location, location, location. The same could be said of a sermon. Where you preach these words. Jeremiah is not sitting in some sort of prophet training school. He's not sitting in some distant academic circle, Jeremiah chapter 7, God says, I want you, Jeremiah, to go preach this sermon at the gate of the temple. I want you to stand at the gate of the temple. And Jeremiah, when you talk about what they're doing to the temple, I want you to point at the temple. And when all of these priests and all of these These people, these righteous folks, thinking they're righteous, walk past the temple. I want you to call them out and I want you to tell them they're liars, they're thieves, they're murderers, they're false witness, they're committing false witness. I want you to tell them, uh, uh, Jeremiah, I can see them from heaven. And I want you to stand in the temple and I want you to say it loud enough for everybody to hear it. It's an unforgettable sermon. But sometimes we hear a text and we listen to what's going on and it seems so distant. And it doesn't hit us the way it would have hit the people of Jeremiah's day. So I want you to pretend for a moment that Jeremiah preaches in our culture and in our world. And that the same type of sermon he preaches in Jeremiah 7, he preaches here at Wilshire. Now, to be fair, he wouldn't stand in this podium, in this pulpit, and preach this kind of sermon. He would stand out there in the parking lot. So that you heard it when you got out of your car. So that the people driving past our church building heard what God had laid on his heart. And I have a feeling the sermon might sound something like this. Before you walk in these doors, you better change your life. If you think God is impressed that you've shown up for worship today, you better think again. I know what you've been up to, says the Lord. Those numbers you fudged at work, the ones that said you worked more than you really worked, the ones that suggest that you sold more than you actually sold, you're lying about that. That makes you a thief. And God knows it. You think you're pretty clever for selling that old car to that young lady. You made a lot of money off of her. You walked down, you cashed that check, and you knew the moment she drove away that that car wouldn't last a week. She's a single mother, you know. She's doing everything she can to raise her kids after her husband abandoned her. And you made a lot of money off of her. God knows that. He saw that. You remember when they announced at church about that family in need? They needed someone to stay up and watch their father because they were worn out and tired. You were too busy, too busy watching TV, too busy watching movies, too busy to land a hand. God saw you there. That waiter you treated like trash, he made his life miserable, all because he didn't bring you the food exactly the way you asked for it. You laughed at the man, someone his age, doing a teenager's job. You walked away, paid for your fancy meal, and left him no tip for his hard work. You know, this is his second job. He's working to save his house and feed his family. God saw that too. That, uh, that woman you were chatting with online last night, your family was asleep. You didn't think anybody saw it. She's not your wife and you know it. That man you're planning to hook up with after church, when your family goes to take their nap, Those plans you made with that, God knows all about those things. And now you have the nerve to show up at this place, to sit in your pew, to say your prayers, to sing your songs and give your money, and you think that walking in these doors somehow makes it all go away. You think having an educated preacher and a young, handsome preacher somehow makes you more righteous than everybody else? God's watching you. There's nothing special about this building. You come squeak out your churchy songs. You come utter your prayers that sound so holy, and you're wasting your time. You think God won't level this building, watch him. You think just because you go to the right church with the right worship, with the right doctrine, that you think somehow you're right with God, you're fooling yourself. I got news for you. God sees all of it. Your lies, taking advantage of the hurting, your theft, adultery, and lying. God's not in this place. You're trusting in lying words, the church of Christ, the church of Christ, the church of Christ. Why don't you go change your ways, you crook, and then God might come back and live here again. I think I'd remember that sermon. Read the text. It's all there. Jeremiah's sermon. Now can't you see why they would have a hard time forgetting that message? And when it's put that way, it's uncomfortable. It was even uncomfortable. When I wrote this, I thought, man, I'm going to upset somebody. (laughs) But that's what it would have sounded like in the parking lot of the church. And it wasn't comfortable for Jeremiah to say either. Verse 27, Jeremiah chapter 7. You will speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer me. And in verse 21, God says, don't even bother praying for them anymore. You know, Jesus quoted this text. When, Jer- when Jesus walked into the temple one day, he took a whip and he drove out the money changers who were taking advantage of the people. And then he reached for this text tucked away in Jeremiah. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. You see, the challenge of this sermon that Jeremiah preaches at the gate of the temple, it calls people to the very question, what are you placing your confidence in? Are you placing your confidence in what you do one day a week? Are you basing your confidence on the fact that, that you've got the right doctrine or you've got the right church? Because that's not going to do it. Amen. Is your confidence consistent with your faith? Jeremiah is calling the people to ask, What does my sacrifice and my worship have to do with the rest of my daily living. You see, these people were living as if there were no God, that there were no covenant. They were abusing the poor, they were neglecting the weak, they were murdering and lying, and they thought that they could just show up one day a week, punch their ticket, and everything else is okay. Jeremiah says, God doesn't work like that. And you're fooling yourself if you think that's enough. God is not confined to the walls of that temple. And God is not confined to the walls of this church. And neither should our faith be. You cannot compartmentalize true faith. It goes with you everywhere. It's too big, it's too intrusive, it's too visible to just tuck away in some corner of your life. But we live in a culture that says that's what we're supposed to do a culture that says your religion is fine and I have no problem with your faith so long as you keep it in your church building. Listen to politicians talk. I don't mix my faith, my personal commitments with the way I make my votes. Jeremiah says that's not possible. We don't mix business and faith. I know you say that at church, but you know a business has to do what a business got to do to stay up with, with the competition, Jeremiah says, no, it doesn't. Here's our question to consider. If the people I work with and go to school with and interact with this week found out what you were doing this morning, what we were saying, what we were pretending to be, would they be shocked? Or are you the kind of person that a person says, I never would have guessed they were a spiritual person. Jeremiah says our faith must be consistent. The songs we sing should be a reflection of the life we live out there. The prayers that we offer here should carry through our actions out there. Our lives should complement our worship and our worship should complement our lives. Now believe it or not, there is a word of hope in Jeremiah's sermon. It's right there early on as he begins look at verse 5 if you truly amend your ways and your doings if you truly act justly with one another if you do not oppress the alien the orphan and the widow or shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not go after other gods to your hurt I will dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever You know why God sent Jeremiah to preach this sermon in this place at this time? Because God has always desperately wanted to dwell among his people. And he's calling them to live according to the covenant that makes it possible for him to live and be their God and for them to be his people. This is not the kind of sermon you soon forget. Jeremiah's words were tough. But ironically, Jeremiah's words are contemporary. To a culture that calls us to leave our faith at the building, Jeremiah says, it goes with you everywhere. You are who you are when you worship and when you live. And may there be no distinction between them that when you serve a God who wants to dwell in your midst, let him come. Let him live there. Follow his word. And don't trust in deceitful thoughts. The story of Jesus Christ is the story of God coming to live with his people yet again. And unfortunately, in too many circles, he was rejected just as he was in the days of Jeremiah. But God calls us to fellowship with him. And he calls us to dwell in him, and he'll dwell in us. We do not trust in this church. We do not trust in our worship. We don't trust in our preachers or our elders or even our doctrine to save us. We trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's not to say all the other things are unimportant. It just means they're only important when we serve God For who he is. This morning we want to call you to that fellowship and dwelling with God through Jesus Christ. To accept him and his son. To believe in him and give your life to him in baptism. Where God promises to live and dwell in us. It's a promise he's begging to keep. It's a promise he's begging you to allow happen. If we can invite you and help you in any way. We do that this morning while together we stand and sing.